Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'na wa anfa'na bima alamtana. Alhamdulillah, it's good to have you all here once again on Zad al-Mustaqni'a. It's sad that we're not in the masajid, but by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we can continue online insha'Allah. So today's lesson, by the permission of Allah azawajal, is pertaining to the arkan and wajibat of the salah the pillars and the obligatory aspects of the Salah. And this is extremely important. Why is it extremely important? Obviously because we need to know what is a rukan, what is a pillar in the Salah, and what that necessitates, and what is wajib in the Salah, and what that necessitates, and what is sunnah in the Salah, and what that necessitates, and what are conditions in the Salah, and what that necessitates. So basically we've dealt with the conditions, the shurut of the Salah, and today, after having taken in previous lessons the description of the Salah, we are now looking at the Arkan and the Wajibat. And this is also important because it's going to link uh, directly into the next session. The next session, which we'll be talking about the prostration of forgetfulness, Sajjud al And in order to understand that complex issue, it's very important to know what is the, what are the arkan, what are the pillars, and what are the wajibat of the salah. So our author in Zad al-Mustaqniya, Imam al-Hijawi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions that the arkan are 14. And we're going to go through them one by one before we move on to the wajibat. So first and foremost, what do the ulama say about a rukan linguistically? Linguistically, in the language, they say a rukan, a pillar, is janibu shay al-aqwa. Is the strongest part of a structure, the strongest part of a thing. So, for example, we said that this is a pillar, so we know that the pillar of a structure is the strongest part of it. Without the pillars being there on that structure, the structure would collapse. And likewise, in the salah, we have pillars which hold up the salah. Without the structure, without the pillars, the salah would collapse. So that is linguistically, the strongest part of a thing. That is what a pillar is linguistically. Technically, it is that or those things which put together formalize or form the ibadah, the act of worship. And the act of worship would not be correct without these pillars. And a quick point to mention that some of the ulama in the Hanbali Madhab, they, instead of mentioning them as arkan, rukan, they mention them as faraid. So fard and rukan at times is interchangeable in the Hanbali Madhab, in the meaning of a pillar, in the meaning of a rukan. At, at times it's uh, rukan, at times you will see it as fard, but it means the same thing. So we have rukan, which I've explained to you very quickly, and we have wajibat. Now, what is the difference between these arkan, the pillars, and the wajibat, the obligatory aspects of the salah? One of the main differences between the rukan and the wajib is that the rukan, if it's left out, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, then in both cases, the salah is going to be invalid, right? Whether it's left out intentionally or unintentionally, then the salah is going to be invalid. Whereas the wajib, that which is obligatory and not a rukan, if that is left out and it's not 
intentional, then it can be made up by doing the prostration of forgetfulness. Whereas a ruken, you cannot make it up once you have passed that point, whether it was left intentionally or unintentionally. The wajib can be made up if it was left out unintentionally by, by doing sujood sahu. And of course, the sunnah, that which is sunnah and that which is mustahab, whether you leave it out intentionally or unintentionally in the salah, there's nothing upon you except that you have missed out on a huge amount of reward. But the salah itself would be intact and valid. These are some of the basic differences between the rukan and the wajibat and the sunan. Now, this chapter of the arkan have a number of ahadith which are fundamental in understanding this chapter. One of these ahadith is found in the book Umdut al-Ahkam and it's narrated by Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu where the Prophet وسلم, he entered the masjid and a man he entered in the masjid into the masjid after him. So this man he prayed and then he came to the Prophet وسلم, and gave salam to the Prophet وسلم, Go back and pray for verily you haven't prayed. So the man he went back and he prayed the way he did the first time. And then he came to the Prophet وسلم, and he gave salam to the Prophet وسلم, the second time. The second time the Prophet وسلم, said, Go back and pray for verily you haven't prayed. Meaning that this person was not praying in the way that the Prophet وسلم, had legislated for the prayer to be done. Something important was missing. So he did this three times. And each time the Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray for verily you haven't prayed. And then the man said to the Prophet ﷺ, By the one who has sent you with truth, I can't do better than this, what I've done, so please teach me. So then the Prophet ﷺ taught him the pillars and how to pray the salah. So before we move on to explaining that, one of the side points of this hadith is that the ulama, they say, the reason the Prophet ﷺ allowed this to happen three times was because after the third time, the person will be frustrated and he'll be very intent and very keen on trying to understand how to pray properly. That's why the Prophet ﷺ didn't teach him in the first time or the second time. He let it happen three times. So then after the third time, the person will be focusing 100% and very keen on trying to learn how to pray. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him and gave him guidance. He said, When you stand up for the prayer, they make the takbir, the first takbir. And then read what you are able to from the Quran. Reading what you are able to from the Quran means that you read the Surah Al-Fatiha and anything that you can after it. But the rook and the pillar here is that you read the Surah Al-Fatiha. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, then go into ruku until you settle in the position of the ruku. This is another rukun. Then the Prophet said, And then raise yourself from the ruku until you are straight and upright. Then the Prophet said, And then go into the position of the sujood until you are there and you are tranquil, meaning you have relaxed in the position of sujood. Then raise yourself from the ruku until you are sitting in the position of having been raised from the sujood, sorry, 
uh, and in a, uh, sit, uh, in a position of sitting and in a position of being tranquil. And then do that in all of your salah, meaning do this arkan which have been mentioned in all of your, all of your salah. So this is not the only hadith which pertains to this topic, but it's one of the main fundamental hadith which pertain to the topic of the Prophet ﷺ teaching the arkan in the salah. So the author, Al-Hijawi in Zad al-Mustaqniya, in this text, he's going to mention that there are 14 arkan. So these 14 arkan, we need to remember them and we need to memorize them after understanding them. The first of them, he says, the author, وَقَوْلُهُ أَرْكَانُهَا الْقِيَامِ the first of these arkan, the first of these pillars is fard, is qiyam, uh, is to stand. So this is, uh, if you have the ability, al-qiyam al-qudra, to stand if you have the ability. So standing is the first of these 14 arkan, and Allah Azza says in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Stand in Allah Azza in prayer. Qanitin, it means to be standing. Stand for Allah Azza in prayer. And also we have the hadith of uh, Imran ibn Hussein where the Prophet وسلم, directed him and said Pray standing up and if you are unable to do so then pray sitting down. If you are unable to do, do even that then pray whilst you are laying down. This hadith is in Bukhari. And also there's an ijma' there's a consensus from the ulama where they say that the one who is able to stand is not permitted for him to pray sitting down in the fard salah. And Imam Ibn Abd al-Bar in his Tamheed is one of the scholars that collected this uh, ijma', this consensus. So a question to the participants, and if they can raise their hand before the admin allow them to answer, how long does one have to stand? What is the miqdar? What is the duration of uh, the minimum standing that must take place in the salah? Okay, so the question was, how long does one have to stand? What is the miqdar of the standing that needs to take place? So the answer to that is that in the first rakah, one has to stand for the duration of being able to make the takbirat al-ihram and thereafter being able to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. And in the other raka'at, in the raka'at that follow the first, then you have to stand for the minimum duration of being able to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Now the ulama, may Allah have mercy upon them, they give us a dhabit of qiyam. A dhabit meaning what is the qualifying rule of what determines what standing is. What is the dhabit of qiyam? They say, A person is standing as long as he is not considered to have gone in the position of ruku. A person is standing as long as he is not considered to have gone into the position of ruku. So my second question to you all, if you can answer one of you, is what is the definition of a person going into ruku? Because we need to know that for, in order to understand what is the definition of standing. So I said standing is as long as you haven't gone into ruku. So what is it? What is the definition of one having gone into ruku? Question to yourselves. Okay, this was from previous classes. We discussed it in the uh, sifa of the salah, the description of the salah. In any case, one is considered to have gone into ruku once a person's hands can touch their knees, okay? So once a person is able to touch their knees, 
then a person is considered to have gone into ruku, even if they haven't fully gone or they are unable to fully go into the position of ruku. But as soon as their hands are able to touch their knees, that is what is uh, defined as having gone into ruku. Uh, Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he mentions in his explanation of his book, Zad al-Mustaqna, that standing is not obligatory, is exempted in five situations. So we said that standing is the first rukan out of the 14 uh, pillars, the 14 arkan. So the Sheikh, may Allah have mercy on him, he says that the uh, standing is not, uh, uh, is, is foregone, is waived in the following situations. The first of them, he said, if it's a nafal salah. So as we know, the person, if he doesn't want to stand in the nafal salah, he's allowed to pray sitting down, though he will only get half of the reward. The second of these five situations is if the person doesn't have the qudra, if he doesn't have the abilities to stand. If he doesn't have the ability to stand, then it's not a rukun for him, it's not a pillar for him. It's waived. The third of these exemptions is if the person is, for whatever reason, doesn't have clothing to cover his sutra. Okay, his aura. If he doesn't have uh, uh, sitr for his aura. If he doesn't have clothing which covers the aura, then in this situation it's recommended for him to pray sitting down and not to pray standing. The fourth exemption is if a person is so scared and he's fearful for his life, then he's hiding and crouching uh, and he's unable to stand. So in that situation also, Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr mentions that that's an exemption. The fifth one, uh, which many of you may know, is pertaining to the Imam. If you're praying behind the Imam, who's the fixed Imam, and this Imam has an illness which prevents him from standing, but it's conditional that this illness is one which is hopefully going to be cured, not a permanent illness. If it's a permanent illness and he cannot stand, then he cannot be the Imam. Whereas if it's a short-term illness and it's hoped that he will be cured from it, then in this situation, the followers behind him also pray sitting down because the Imam cannot stand. So if the Imam is the fixed Imam and he's unable to stand due to a temporary illness, then in this situation also, then the, the, the ma'mumin, the ones who are praying behind him, do not have, shouldn't pray standing. So these are some exemptions. Sheikh Abdul Salam al-Shawayr, in his explanation, he said that with regards to standing, if one finds it difficult to stand because maybe they are sick or they have some ailment in their body, then they are allowed to lean against something like a wall or lean against a, a stick or something of that nature. But the condition here is that it must be borne in mind that if that uh, thing that he's leaning against was to be taken away and this would lead to the person falling down because they're unable to keep themselves upright, then in this situation, the person is not allowed to lean. The person is only allowed to lean on those things as a way of helping the person. But if that thing was not to be there and the person couldn't stand up whatsoever, then in that situation, the person is not allowed to lean. He has to pray sitting down. Tayyib. Move on, inshallah, to the second rukan, the second pillar from the 14 arkan. And that is the author. He says, Atahrima means the takbiratul ihram, the first takbir of the salah. This is a pillar, it's a rukan in the salah because in the hadith of the one who didn't pray correctly, which was the first hadith we took of the lesson known as al the one who did wrong in his prayer the one who didn't pray correctly, 
then the Prophet وسلم, said to him, إِذَا قُمْتَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ When you stand up for the prayer, then make the takbir. Then make the takbir, which is to say, Allahu Akbar, the opening takbir of the salah is a rukan. And also we have the hadith in Ahmad and Abi Dawood where the Prophet وسلم, said, Tuhur, miftahu salah at tuhur, that the key to the salah is purification. And that which makes everything outside of the salah forbidden to do is the takbir, to say Allahu Akbar. And that which then makes everything once again allowed, which is outside of the salah to be done once again as normal, is the taslim, to say Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah. So in these short evidences, we find and we come to know that the takbir, takbiratul ihram, is a rukan of the salah. It's a pillar of the salah, and it must be done. The third of these arkan is al-fatiha, that the person must read surah al-fatiha, because again, in the first hadith that we took, hadith masih fi salatihi, the hadith wherein the one did wrong in the salah, the Prophet said, Read that which you are able to do so from the Qur'an, and many of the scholars, they said that this is pertaining to surah al-fatiha. And also we have in the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim from Ubadah ibn Samit who said that the Prophet said لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب that there is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite Surah Al-Fatiha. So these evidences, they tell us clearly and vividly that uh, to recite Surah Al-Fatiha is a rukun, it's an essential pillar of the Salah. And if one was to leave that whether intentionally or unintentionally, the Salah would be invalid. We'll come later on when we talk about the congregation Islam, uh, Salah, the congregation prayer, who is exempt from reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, if at all, and who must recite Surah Al-Fatiha. So that will be discussed later. But in general, if a person is praying, they have to, it's a must, they have to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. That was the third rukan. The fourth of the arkan, the fourth of the rukan, the arkan is a ruku', is to make ruku', which is to, uh, to bow. In Bukhari, uh, in the same hadith, the hadith Masih Salah, Masih fi Salatihi, that the first hadith we took, the Prophet Sallallahu said, Then make the ruku' until you find yourself tranquil in that position, meaning that the ruku' has to be made. And as we said, that the babit, the determining rule for what is the ruku' al-babit is that the person should at least be able to touch uh, their knees uh, with their hands as long as they don't have exceptionally long arms because that wouldn't be uh, qualified for a normal person in normal length of arms and, and hands that as soon as a person can touch their knees that is considered that the person has now made ruku okay as the ulama say al-babit al-babit al-ruku al-mudzi' أن ينحني بحيث تصل يداه إلى ركبتيه إذا كان معتدل الخلق. طيب the fifth ركن the fifth of these أركان is الاعتدال عنه is that a person should get up from the ركوع. okay after having made the ركوع the fifth of these pillars that the person gets up from the ركوع because in the hadith of the Messiah في صلاته the one who did, did uh, perform poorly in his salah the first hadith we took the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said then raise yourself from the ruku until you are standing up, upright. Okay, so this also is the fifth 
This is the fifth of the arkan. Now the sixth pillar is as-sujudu ala al-a'da'i sab'a is to make sujud, prostration, upon the seven limbs. And the seven limbs, as we took previously in the uh, description of the prayer, is where the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Jabhatu wa ashara bi anfihi is the uh, the forehead and the nose, waliyadain and the two hands, warukbatain and the knees, waatraf al-qadamain and the, uh, to be on the toes of your feet in the sujood. So these are the seven limbs that one must pr- prostrate upon. So the Prophet ﷺ said in the same hadith, Musi fi salatihi. Then make sujood until you find yourself tranquil in the position of sujood. So this is the rukan, the sixth rukan of the salah, that the person has to make sujood upon the seven limbs. And here, the seventh rukan according to the Imam Al-Hijawi, may Allah have mercy upon him in this text, Zad al-Mustaqna, he says to raise oneself from the ruku'ah. Okay, to raise oneself from the ruku, uh, because the Prophet ﷺ said, and then raise yourself from the ruku until you are sitting uh, tranquilly in a position of sitting, raising oneself from the ruku. Now, here's this issue, which is that um, the next thing that the Imam is going to say is al jalus bayna sajdatain to sit between the two prostrations, that one must be sitting between the two prostrations, is the eighth rukun. So some of the ulama, they said that the seventh rukun, which we just mentioned now, to raise oneself from the sujood, didn't need to be mentioned. Because there's no way that you can sit, which is the eighth rukun, without having done the seventh one. So they're saying that the seventh one, there was no need to mention. However, other ulama, like Sheikh Uthaymin, Ta'ala, and Sheikh Abdul Salam, al-Shawair, in their explanations, they said no. This is there because it could be that one is praying and they raise up unintentionally. For example, they hear something that causes them fear or they hear something that causes them to raise up quickly and they did so without an intention. So here the salah will mean that they have left out a rukan. So here it's important to mention that actually the raising from the rukan itself is a pillar. Okay, so the person has to do this with, with an intention. And then we move on to the eighth of the arkan, the eighth of the rukan, which we said is al-jalus bayna sajdatain, to sit between the two prostrations. Okay, because the Prophet ﷺ said, jalisan, raise yourself from the sujood until you are sitting in a tranquil position. So raising up and sitting between the two prostrations is also a rukan, it's the eighth of the arkan. The ninth of these arkan is that one should have tranquility in all of these movements. In all of these movements, you have to have tranquility. Okay? Because the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, he mentioned tuma'nina so many times that when you come to this position, until you are tranquil in that position. So tuma'nina, the scholars, they have a discussion as to what does this tranquility, what is the dhabit, what is the te- determining rule of what is tranquility in terms of its length, etc. Uh, Sheikh Mansour al-Sa'qub, he mentioned that the uh, more popular opinion in the madhab of the Hanbali scholars, he says it's qadru uh, dhikru wajib. He said it's the amount that it will take you to say the obligatory dhikr for that particular rukun. So for example, 
if somebody is in the ruku, their particular uh, wajib would be to say, Subhana Rabbiyal Azim. So that is how much you need to be in that position for. It's obligatory to have Tuma'nina, to be tranquil in that position for the length of you being able to say, Subhana Rabbiyal Azim. And for example, if you're in the sujood, for you to say, Subhana Rabbiyal A'la, as, as long as it would take for you to say that, dhikr, then that's how long you must be there with Tuma'nina. You must have tranquility in that position for that length. And it's imperative to remember that we are praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, for sure, those these believers are successful, those who have tranquility in their salah. And this tumma'nina is one of the best ways of getting tranquility in your salah, to ensure that you allow your limbs to relax in the salah at each position, and that you try, try to enjoy each position remembering, thinking about the dhikr that you are saying. And you don't make it like you're doing an aerobics class, just going up and down as fast as you can. Rather, you take your time in each rukan with tumma'nina. The tenth of these, he says, the author, وَتَشَهُدُ الْأَخِيرِ تَشَهُدُ الْأَخِيرِ is to do the uh, the last tashahud. When you sit and you say, Attahayatu lillahi wa salawatu wa tayyibatu as-salamu alayka ayyaha al-nabiyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu as-salamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin ashadu an la ilaha illallahu ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluhu This is the tashahud. Okay? And it's called the tashahud al-akhir if it's the last tashahud in a prayer which has more than two raka'ah. Okay? If it only has one tashahud, meaning that there's only two units of uh, prayer, then you wouldn't call it tashahud al-akhir, you would just call it tashahud. And so here's a question for the listeners. Why is this called tashahud? Why is this rukan called tashahud? Does anybody know? Please answer if you know by raising your hand. Why is this called tashahud? Is it because of the shahadat, like Shadun la ilaha illallah, Shadun la Muhammad Rasulullah, when you say in the actual position you're in? Ahsanta, barakallahu feek, may Allah give you good, barakallahu feek. This is exactly why it's called the shahud because it contains the shahadatain, the two testimonies of faith, the testimony pertaining to worshipping only Allah Azawajal and none other besides Him, and that Muhammad is the last of the messengers of Allah Azza wa So because it contains the two testimonies of faith, the shahadatain, it's called the tashahud. Tayyib, pillar number 11. It's good to know that there's people responding, alhamdulillah. May Allah give you all good, inshallah. The 11th of the pillars is jalsatuhu, is the sitting for the tashahud al-akhir. That the tashahud al-akhir, it cannot be said in any other position, except that the person is sitting. Uh, in the position of tashahud. And the twelfth of these pillars, of these arkan, is salah ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fihi. That one must make salah upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the last tashahud, in the tashahud al-akhir. Now this is the position of the Hanbali scholars, and uh, they relied upon position in the madhab. But some of the Hanbali scholars, they said that rather it's a wajib. Some of them, they said, it's a wajib. For example, Majd ibn Taymiyyah, the grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he held this opinion as the Shaykh uh, Ibn Baz, rahimahullah ta'ala, and others. Uh, interestingly, 
Shaykh Uthaymin, he held the opinion that to make the salah upon the Prophet in the tashahud al-akhir is sunnah, like did Imam Malik and Imam Abu Hanifa, may Allah have mercy upon them all. So the Mu'tamad, the relied upon opinion, or the uh, common opinion in the Madhab, is that this is a rukan, to make salah upon the Prophet in the last tashahud is a rukan. The 13th of these arkan, the 13th of them is a tartib, is to do the salah in order. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith, if you mention, if you uh, listened carefully, he kept using the word thumma. So the Prophet ﷺ kept using the word thumma, which means then. And so the use of the word then means that the thing is being done in order, okay? And also the Prophet ﷺ, he never did a prayer except that it was done in order. And the Prophet ﷺ said in the famous hadith, as you know, uh, pray as you have seen me pray, meaning pray as it has been described to you that I have prayed, because obviously, sadly, we haven't seen the Prophet ﷺ pray. So it's imperative to do the salah in tartib. And also, Sheikh Khalid al Mushaykh, in his explanation, he said there's a rule in fiqh that the ulama have said, he said that there's a rule in fiqh which is that uh, any act of worship which is composed of parts like the prayer is it has many different parts so any act of worship which is composed of different parts in order for for it to be uh, in accordance with the sunnah then two things have to be there Tartib, which is to do things in order, and al-muwalat, which is that things should be done continuously. Okay, the fourteenth of these uh, arkan and the last of them, the fourteenth of these pillars is that taslim should be done to say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Okay, and the mashhur, the famous opinion in the madhab is that both taslim must be done to the right and to the left. This is the fourteenth of the arkan. We'll move on, inshallah, to the wajibat because next session, by Allah's permission, we want to talk about sujood al-sahmu, the prostration of forgetfulness. So we need to know the arkan and the wajibat. So the wajibat are seven, okay? And the difference, as we said, one of the differences between that which is wajib rukan is that the rukan, whether it's left intentionally or unintentionally, then the prayer is void and it has to be started again. Whereas the wajib, if it's left unintentionally, Okay, out of forgetfulness, for example, then the prayer can be corrected with the sajood asahu at the end, with the prostration of forgetfulness at the end. So the wajib are seven. The first of them, all of the takbir in the salah, all of the Allahu Akbar in the salah, the takbirat, other than the first takbir, takbirat al-ihram, uh, are wajibat. Okay, these are obligatory and they are known as takbirat al-intiqal. Takbirat al-intiqal the takbir of moving from one position to the other position. Okay, so this is, these are uh, from the wajibat of the salah, the first of them. The second wajib in the salah is a tasmi' which is to say, sami Allahu liman hamida. So this is the second wajib in the salah, and this is for the imam and the munfarid. For the imam, the one who's leading the salah, and the munfarid, the one who's praying by himself, the ma'mum, he doesn't say this. Now here's a question for you to ponder. 
And it's pertaining to the takbiratul intiqal that we just mentioned. We said that all of the takbiratul intiqal, the takbir from moving from, from one position to another position, are obligatory. And also now the tasmi'ah, which is to say samiyallahu liman hamida, is obligatory. My question is, why is to say samiyallahu liman hamida obligatory whilst thinking about the takbiratul ihram, which will help you to answer? Go ahead. Uh, is, is it because uh, you, it takes the place of the, like the Allahu Akbar? Barakallahu feek ahsant. So the Samiya Allahu liman hamida is taking the place of the takbir, al-intiqal. So here when we move from the uh, from the position, we don't say Allahu Akbar, rather we say Samiya Allahu liman hamida. So this has the hukum of the badr, the hukum of the thing that is replacing, which is that it's wajib. Jazakallah khair, and this was mentioned by Sheikh Abdul Salam Ashwayr in one of his explanations of this book. Tayyib. So, number three from these uh, wajibat, from these obligations, is a tahmid, is to say, Rabbana lakalhamd. And we know, as if you remember from the previous lessons when we did the description of the prayer, that you can say it in four different ways. You can say, Rabbana walakalhamd, or you can say, Rabbana lakalhamd. Or you could say, Allahumma Rabbana walakalhamd. Or you could say, Allahumma Rabbana lakalhamd. So, tahmid is an obligation upon all three categories of people, whether it's the Imam, whether it's the Munfarid, the one praying alone, whether it's that Ma'moom, whether the one who is uh, being led in Salah. The fourth of these. <laughs> the fourth of these obligations is Tasbihat al wa Sujood is the tasbih, the glorification that you do when in ruku and sujood. Okay, and it has to be, do, has to be done once as a minimum. Uh, Imams Ahmed, Abi Dawood, Ibn Majah, they collect from the hadith of Uqba ibn Amir. Uh, they said, لَمَّا نَزَلَتْ قَالُ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى فَسَبِّحْ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ When the verse of Allah was revealed, فَسَبِّحْ اسْمَ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ Glorify your Lord the Azim. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Ij'aluha fi ruku'ikum." Put it in the ruku, meaning say, "Subhana Rabbi al-Azim." And when the verse was revealed, "Sabbih ismi Rabbika al-Ala." Glorify your Lord who is most high. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Ij'aluha fi sujudikum." Put it in the sujud, which means to say, "Subhana Rabbi al-Ala," and to say once is the uh, minimum that must be said. Okay. And three, to say three is Adna al-Kamal. And if you are an Imam, you, the most you can say is ten. And if you are Munfarid praying by yourself, you can say as many as you want. And to increase, of course, as we know, is more fruitful for our soul and our salah. Tayyib, the fifth of these pillars, the author says, وَالسُّؤَالُ الْمَغْفِرَةِ مَرَّةً مَرَّةً To ask Allah's forgiveness uh, um, between the two sujuds. Uh, one time, okay? To ask forgiveness from, from Allah Azawajal, why? Because in the hadith of Hudayfa, uh, narrated by Ahmed Abi Dawood, he mentions, Can the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam That the Prophet used to in his prayer and Hudayfa radiallahu anhu saw him in the night prayer and he said that he used to when he would sit 
uh, between the two sajdatain, he would sit the length of time that he would uh, make sujood, meaning that the time he would take to make sujood, he would also sit comparably that same time between the two prostrations, and he would say, Rabbi Gfilli, Rabbi Gfilli, oh my Lord, forgive me, forgive me. So to say Rabbi Gfilli, or something of that nature, uh, to say Rabbi Gfilli between the sajdatain, between the two prostrations, is the fifth of the uh, obligatory actions, the fifth of the wajibat. And in the sixth, he says, وَيُسَنْ ثَلَاثًا It's recommended to say it uh, three times, right? It's recommended to say it three times. Uh, why? Because the Prophet wasallam, he would, uh, when making dua, he would make dua three times. This was from his uh, sunnah, from the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. Uh, the sixth of these is tashahadul awwal, okay? The sixth of the pillars is the tashahadul awwal. The first tashahud, which means that you will say atahiyatul all the way to the end without making salah upon the Prophet Okay. So tashahadul awwal wa jalsatuhu, and to also sit for the tashahadul awwal, which will be the seventh of the uh, wajibat. Okay. Tashahadul awwal. Now. So the author he says after mentioning what is uh, rukan, what is arkan, and what is wajibat. He says, وَمَا عَادَ الشَّرَائِطِ وَالْأَرْكَانِ وَالْوَاجِبَاتِ الْمَذْكُورَةِ سُنَّةِ He says, everything outside of the category of being a condition from the shara'it, from the shurud, all the arkan, all the pillars, all the wajibat, all the obligatory actions mentioned, all of the things outside of these categories are considered to be sunnah, okay? And as we said, uh, um, if one leaves off a sunnah, it doesn't affect the salah in any way, shape or form, even if left off intentionally. However, the person is missing a huge amount of reward. So the person shouldn't intend to leave off a sunnah, but rather it may happen at times for a variety of reasons. The author, he says, So whoever leaves off a condition without excuse, except for the niyyah, Okay, this needs a bit of explanation quickly. The author is going to talk about that if you leave off a condition from the shurut, if you leave off a condition without an excuse, then the salah is going to be invalid. So maybe a person leaves off a condition due to an excuse, the salah is not invalid. He has an excuse. For example, the person doesn't have clothing to cover himself in the salah, so he has to pray as he can. The person is unable to face the qibla, which is a condition, so he prays in any direction that he can. Uh, after trying to figure out his best where the qibla is. So conditions at times are excused. The conditions of the salah at times are excused that you may not be able to fulfill them. However, the author, he said, except for the niyyah. Now, why did he make this exception from the thing, from the uh, conditions? That he's saying that if the conditions are left off without excuse, then the salah is going to be invalid. But when he's talking about excuse, for conditions, he's saying that the niyyah can never be excused. Why is that my question to you? Why is it that the niyyah can never be excused as a condition? Okay, the answer is not coming through. So, Father, go ahead. Um, uh, for action to be valid, um, uh, there are two conditions, which is the intention, the niyyah, and the it being in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah. Okay, very good, excellent, good try, but that's not the correct answer. 
So what I'm saying here, uh, may Allah give you good, what I'm saying here is that the author is saying that if the conditions are left off due to an excuse, then the salah is still going to be valid because you have an excuse to leave a particular condition. But he's mentioning here that the niyyah, the intention in your heart, is never excused to be left off. And the reason he's saying that is because the heart, you can always control it. There's no situation wherein you cannot not make a niyyah. There's no situation wherein you cannot not make a niyyah. You can always make the intentions. It's not fathomable that you will be in a situation where you are unable to make the intention uh, for the salah. This is what he means by this. In any case, he carries on and he says, Or if a person intends to leave for rukan, okay? So going back to the beginning, he said, if any conditions are left off without excuse other than the intention, or a person intends to leave off a pillar, a rukan, a wajibin, or an obligation from the wajibat, batalat salatuhu, then his salah becomes invalid. Okay? So the rukan in all cases, whether it's done intentionally or unintentionally, if it's left off, the salah is invalid. With regards to the wajibat, if it's left off intentionally, then, then the salah is going to be invalid. But if it's left off out of jahl or udr, some excuse, then the salah is still valid and can be made up with the sujood asahu. And likewise, the conditions at times are able to be left off if the person is unable to fulfill the condition due to an excuse. The author, he says, uh, apart from the others, meaning that if other things like the sunnah and the mustahabbat are left off, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, then the salah is not invalidated. The salah is still valid, whether you leave the sunnah and the mustahabbat off intentionally or unintentionally. And he says again as a repetition, And apart from what we mentioned from the sharut, and from the arkan and from the wajibat, everything else in the salah is either a sunnah, a uh, fa'aliyah, sorry, sunnah qawliyah, a sunnah of speech, or fa'aliyah, a sunnah of action. And pertaining to this category of sunnah and mustahabbat, it's not legislated that somebody does the sujood, a sahu, at the end of the salah for having left off one of the sunnah. Uh, okay? So if somebody leaves a sunnah off, uh, say, for example, forgetfully, then it's not legislated for him or her to make sujood sahu, the sujood of uh, forgetfulness, uh, due to having left it out forgetfully. But if he does so, in But however, if the person does make the sujood, then there's no harm in him doing so. So as a conclusion, these 14 and the 7, we need to learn them, the 14 arkan and the 7 wajibat, because it's going to be imperative when it comes to understanding how to behave with the arkan and the wajibat uh, in sujood sahu. What happens if I leave out a rukan? Uh, how can I make it up? Am I able to make it up? Uh, if I cannot make it up, what do I have to do? Likewise with the wajibat. So these are imperative that you go away, you review them, you try to understand them to the best of your ability. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward everybody immensely for having, make this, for having made this effort. And any shortcomings and mistakes were from my shaitan, from, from shaitan and myself. Anything which was good and correct was for, as a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And jazakumullah khair. If you have any questions uh, pertaining to the topic, then feel free. Or otherwise, you can send them on the fiqh group. Or if you are shy, you can send them to me individually. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.